This is Stepping Out in Faith with Heather Reddick. Join me as we jump straight on into a message about God's provision with Esther as the perfect example. If you feel led, please share because our mission in life is to share the gospel and make disciples. Y'all enjoy. You've been handpicked by our Heavenly Father for this exact place, this exact time, this exact moment. You are filled with potential and your comeback story is building more and more just by the hour. When we act trustingly, there's no limitations set on our lives. So let me be clear. I'm not a Bible expert. Um, I have read that good book from cover to cover. I've done it multiple times. And there's still stuff I don't know. There's always going to be things I don't know because I'm not God. And so when I tell people about the gospel, my point of view is exactly, that's what exactly what it is. It's my point of view. It's based on exactly what the Bible says, what I've read, and what I've seen God do in my life firsthand. Isn't that just great though? We serve a God that he, he's exactly who he says he is. Um... Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. So we're still sinners, each and every one of us, but we're children of God and we're covered by the mercy, His mercy and His grace. He lifts us up. Um, Psalm 63.8 says, My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. Feeling completely thirsty for the Lord. I'm just going to have to read y'all the entirety of Psalm 63. It's um, King David when he's out in the wilderness. And he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, and my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped." So, like I said, King David wrote that. In case it got a little bit fuzzy for you at the end when he said the king shall rejoice in God. He's saying that him as the leader, he will still rejoice in God no matter what goes on. I love the vulnerability of that scripture. It's just, it's really raw. I know there have been times in my life where I've envied people that can fully let go and express all their emotions in the presence of the Lord. Just out in the open, like in service. When you see them over there and they're just having their little moment and they have their hands up in the air. And I'm happy to say that I'm now one of those people. And it feels amazing. 
it's absolutely amazing to be able to lift my hands up in praise without worrying about who's looking at me and what they're thinking about. I could, I could honestly care less. God loves when we reach up to him and we praise his name out loud. And that's what we're doing, exposing our vulnerability and admitting to the Lord that we need his help, that we're nothing without him. Because everything that is good comes from the Lord. So without his presence, we are, you know, the scripture says a portion for jackals were liars to be given over to death and hidden forever in the depths of the earth. It sounds harsh, but it's true, and I'm so glad for myself and for you today that, that that's not what it has to be. We both know that's what we fully deserve, but it's not what our Savior has in store for us. He's died for us, and He's rose again to wash us clean of our filthy selves, and He's placed us at a seat at His table. Okay. I've got to get it to my point before, before y'all just leave me sitting here perfectly placed. That is the title of today. Um, you are perfectly placed. Um, I've seen outcomes in my own comeback story that prove time and time again that we are strategically placed by God. Today, we're going to talk about Esther, the book of Esther. So, she's this queen bee when it comes to examples of perfect placement. Um, I'm never going to assume anybody knows what I'm talking about. I say that because the Bible is huge, absolutely humongo. So, even if you have read it cover to cover, you don't always remember details, or sometimes even whole stories if you're anything like me, and you have the mom brain, or maybe that's just me, and that's today's episode of Heather being ugly honest about her life. I can't remember everything all the time. I just can't. It's not my gift. That's okay. So, back to where I was going. Esther, the Cliff Notes version by Heather Reddick. <laughs> so, there's this Jewish community. It's placed in Persia, so they're being ruled under Persian law. And there's a Jewish man named Mordecai. And Mordecai has this responsibility for his cousin, Esther, due to the fact that she's an orphan. And there's this Persian king. The king is throwing this massive party. They like to throw parties. Y'all are going to get that through the story. They love parties. So this party is almost like 200 days here. They're like on day 180 something. He's absolutely trashed. And the king wants to show off his wife. So he calls her, but she don't come. I don't know why. Maybe she was napping. Maybe she's mad at him for whatever reason. Or maybe she just wasn't ready to go. I mean, they are partying. It could be like 3 a.m. You don't, you don't have any clue. So men always think that you can get ready in like 10 minutes like they can. So... I don't know. Old girl didn't show. That's what I do know. So, King, he got talking to his buddies while they're enjoying a few too many brewskis or whatever they're doing. And he decides to, um, like, demote her. And she's not allowed to be in his presence anymore or anything like that. So, she can't be queen anymore. And they make some crazy law that men are now masters of their households. Blah, 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 blah. Drunken stupor. Okay, so King wants another queen, so he, um, let me add, this guy has, like, wives and wives and wives and wives. There's no limit. He's got the queen, wives, concubines, the whole deal. So, he throws this big beauty pageant, and Mordecai puts his cousin Esther in the pageant, 
and she just keeps the fact that she's a Jew on the hush-hush. And so Esther ends up winning this pageant. King is madly in love with her and, like, obsessed with her, and he makes her the queen. And meanwhile, trusty Mordecai, he's chilling outside. He happens to hear the guards out in front of the gate talking about how they want to kill the king. Mordecai goes out, and he tells Esther, which is now the queen, about it. And um, she kind of tattletales to the king. It's written down in this royal record book. They take care of the guards. Good job, brownie points for Mordecai. Remember that for later. Um, so like I said, Mordecai's good deed is written down in this, this tell-all book. I guess they write down everything. Those, those people, they had nothing to do. They didn't have Netflix. So the king has this guy named Haman that he really likes for some odd reason. I can't figure it out. So he promotes him way, way up. He's up to second in command. Um, Haman is a bit of a jack wagon, very full of himself. He wants everyone just to bow down before him, but Mordecai ain't having it. So, um, Haman gets really good and ticked off. So he goes and tells the king and he makes the king make this fancy holiday. That's just purely just like a kill all the Jews holiday since he found out that Mordecai is a Jew. So, they threw some dice to figure out this date. You know, they put in some effort. They were like, oh, it's going to be on the 13th. And then they had a party. And, um, yeah, they just partied some more. So, that's it. So, Mordecai and Esther are talking about this. Like, what are we going to do so all of our fellow Jews and us don't get killed? So, their only option was because, you know, the king is obsessed with Esther. He loves her. And so, Esther's like, man, I got to go in front of the king. I got to take care of this. Um, she's got to tell him, like, hey, I'm a Jew, and we're going to save all my people here. Like, you can't let everybody die. The catch-22 in this situation is that by Persian law, you couldn't just, like, make surprise visits to the king, even if you were the queen. Like, you didn't just pop in. It was literally life or death. Like, it could be a death sentence. He could just be, like, off of your head, you know, Sorry. So, Esther's like, I gotta do what I gotta do. And so, she walks in, and the king accepts her. Whew! Relief. So, she asks him to dinner. She's like, tomorrow, you and Haman come over. We'll we'll talk. I got something I want to ask you. And he accepts, and he's like, girl, whatever you want, I got you. So, they have the dinner. Everybody gets nice and sloshed. They're partying again. I'm telling you, party, party, party. So, she asked both of them, she's like, hey, I hope you're enjoying your party today. Why don't you come back tomorrow for another dinner so I can really ask you the question? These people aren't going to turn down a party. So, Haman leaves that night in this, like, the worst state of drunkenness. And he runs across Mordecai. And Haman gets all flustered because he just hates, I guess, looking at Mordecai just makes us hair stand up. I don't know. So, he suddenly demands that in front of his house, all of his buddies are going to get together, and they're going to build this massive stake to impale Mordecai on it the next morning. They're just going to stab him on this, like, massive stake. Um, meanwhile, the king can't sleep. He's chilling at home, and he can't sleep. So, he calls one of his servants to open up his big record book where he keeps all his day-to-day doings and what have you and 
they're reading it to him like a little bedtime story. And he hears the story of Mordecai saving his life by telling on the guards that were planning to kill him. So he gets all pumped up. And the next morning, um, he's like, got all this stuff on his brain. The king's just excited. And Haman comes in and he's ticked off. And so he's about to tell the king all about how he wants to put Mordecai on this giant pointy stick out in front of his house. And the king is like, hold on, before you say all that, um, he starts bragging on good deeds of like a specific person. And he's like, what do you think I should do for this person? But he didn't ever say a name. And so Haman, of course, because he's so full of himself, he thinks it's all about him. So he's like, oh, I would put him on one of your personal horses. I would put him in your personal robes. I would march him around town and let people praise him and love on him. And he was like, cool, I'm glad you think so. That's a great idea. So go get Mordecai and go put him on the horse and go, like, pull him around town. (laughs) So Mordecai, I mean, so Haman has to go load up the person that he was planning to kill, and he has to march him around town like a show pony. Um, Needless to say, Haman wasn't happy. So that night, um, Esther still has the second dinner where she's going to tell them everything. So Haman's there and the king is there. She just like completely lets the cat out of the the bag. And she tells the king that she's a Jew and uh, Mordecai has these plans and he's going to kill all her people. And how he was actually going to stick Mordecai on a big giant stick. Um, Well, the king, he's awful drunk and he just says, because once again, party party, he says, heck, you know what? We're going to teach Haman a lesson and we're going to stick him on his big giant stick that he built to put Mordecai on and see how he likes it in front of his house. So the evil Haman, he's killed in front of his own home and his home and everything along with his position as the second in command is all given to Mordecai. They have to do um, some teamwork to figure out how to save the Jews from the decree because decrees just like can't be undone. They create another decree for Jews um, that they have to fight back. That there's, they like have to protect themselves. So there's another party for that, of course. Then all the Jews put a smack down on all the people that are trying to kill them for the holiday. And Esther's queen, Mordecai, is the king's right hand man and the Jews are saved. Woo! So, there's a lot of fascinating details that go into this story. I promise you just need to go sit down and read it through and thoroughly. And even if you've already done it, it's just it's just really an eye-opener. This story's whole purpose is to show us that perfect placement is part of God's plan, even if it doesn't seem likely at the time. His provisions, they're always in place. There are times in our lives when we feel like we've been left alone Um, just like Esther as an orphan, but God is there to lift us up in his own timing. Esther reacts to her situation fearlessly. Her actual response when talking to Mordecai about the situation of going and to talk to the king or not was, if I perish, I perish. That was the actual quote. If I perish, I perish. Isn't that the way that we need to view our approach to defending ourselves against the enemy? 
we need to be fearless and confident. And she was obedient to her duties and humble enough to stand tall and do her thing without thinking twice. Our God is never going to forsake us when we pursue our giants in defense of him and his gospel. And there are times when we will get a little spat on the hand, a little no-no, and a redirection. But never, ever will he forsake us. Um, Joshua 1.5. Look that up. Joshua 1.5. Think over this hard and heavy where you have seen yourself strategically placed in the past, where you have found evidence of God's goodness. Um, He's done it once, and he'll do it again and again if you'll just let him take the wheel. Where you see yourself strategically placed right now. Do you have dreams? Do you have ambitions? Are you on the road to that? Um, God has placed a calling in your heart that you need to act on. Pray over those things. In John chapter 1, we are told to meditate day and night on the Word. Do that. Remind yourself of God's calling in your life. How do you expect God to talk to you if you're not sitting still and spending time with Him on a day-to-day basis? He has so much in store for you. God has given us this opportunity to give ourselves over as clay in His hands. And he can mold us however he plans to. And he can set us apart from all the others. Um, and we can be in, not cracked and like new and perfectly placed. Dear Lord, thank you for meeting us where we are and ensuring us that we are perfectly placed in this world. Though we seem so significant in our own eyes, you see our potential. You see yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know what we're going to be. You've already seen our comeback story. Mold us for your purpose and for your purpose only. Amen.